This is Give Me Some Truth, a podcast from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. We have an exciting episode today with a... Uh, guest in the booth that uh, we've not had before, uh, Orange Schroeder from uh, Orange Tree Imports and all other things Monroe Street. Uh, welcome to the uh, to the booth. We appreciate having you. Thank you so much. Now, you're an experienced uh, hand at podcasting. You've said uh, that you've done one for Orange Tree Imports. Actually, I did one for independent retailers. Okay. I, I write a, a blog for independent retailers called Specialty Shop Retailing, and for a number of years I did a, a podcast at home with my cat on my lap and my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a nice booth like you have. <laughs> so, and, and we're overlooking uh, Monroe Street from our studio, uh, not, you know, with a cat on your lap, but I think something that's been uh, very important in your life is Monroe Street. And you started here on Monroe Street in 1975, is that Yes, we've, that right? uh, Street Import started um, 44 years ago. Wow. And, yeah, and, it was a long time ago. And you know, I'm a, a Madison local, so always the the history of Madison is really intriguing. And the building itself that you guys are in is sort of an interesting piece of, of history, isn't it? It's a wonderful building. In fact, one of the reasons I, I wanted that location was I loved the antique leaded glass bay window that was built by an Englishman um, in like 1914-15. And um, it's gone through a lot of changes over the years, and including some tragedy, because uh, the original owner, uh, after the uh, crash in 1929, committed suicide. Oh, wow. And his son-in-law took over the business and it was actually his son-in-law that we bought the building from in the 1970s. And what was it before you guys... Uh... It, it was originally Pageant Paint Company, and they're okay. still in business in Madison. Um, but it had been through many incarnations uh, in the somewhat recent years before 1975. And when you guys moved in in 1975, were there other... Uh, independent retailers around you, or were you sort of at the avant-garde? Or Well, as you know, Monroe Street originally was a neighborhood um, corridor, so there were grocery stores every couple blocks that served the residents. Uh, there were a lot of local, locally-based businesses, a couple pharmacies, and so there were not as many specialty shops. We were one of the first, and that was an exciting um, trend to be, to be at the uh, vanguard of. Yeah. And so, as, over time, how have you seen Monroe Street develop from your your, your leaded glass front window? <laughs> well, were. one of the wonderful things is that Monroe Street has a lot of independent businesses, and uh, in fact, we only have one or two chain businesses. So I've uh, had the pleasure of working with many um, entrepreneurs, many women, and uh, even um, the restaurants and especially the specialty shops have almost all been locally owned, which gives Monroe Street a really special flavor. And early on, we decided to support each other rather than be competitors. And that's also been a really wonderful experience to have so many colleagues on the street. What is your history even before that? I, you know, I think a lot of the listeners would be interested to hear kind of where are you Madison true and true? Like, uh, you know, were you born here, raised here or, or were you a transplant from somewhere else? Well, actually, I grew up in a very small town, uh, but it was in New Jersey. People oh, always say, oh, you're from the East Coast, you're from a big city. And I said, no, I grew up in a town that had one restaurant. And when I came to Madison, I was just overwhelmed that there were 
all these different places to eat and all these places to shop. But I came to Madison um, for two reasons. I met my husband in Boston, and he's from Burlington, Wisconsin. But also, uh, I have a passion for Danish literature, and I came here as a graduate student in Danish literature at the University of Wisconsin, which was one of only five schools in the country to offer a master's in Danish. And that had a lot to do with why I got into retailing, because a master's degree in Danish literature doesn't lead to a lot of career options. <laughs> in fact, I can relate to that guy of a, a doctorate in French literature. A doctorate, no so, less. Yes. Well, so you went I, even further than I yeah. I started a doctorate, but well, I, you know, I didn't uh, get there. Well, you know, higher and deeper, I think, is, that, <laughs> is the expression for that. But So, yes, I can, I can see how it... And I, I think you were actually inspired by some of the retail shops that you saw in... Denmark and, and Germany, right? Denmark especially. I spent yeah. a year at the University of Copenhagen, and at that time, the University of Copenhagen didn't really have a campus. The classrooms were spread out in buildings all over the city. There was, of course, the original building from 1500, but it wasn't very large. So I would have classes, maybe a class in the morning, and then another class eight hours later. So I had a lot of time to spend in Copenhagen. The family I was living with was about 45 minutes outside the city. So I walked around a lot and uh, visited a lot of shops. They probably probably were really wondering what I was up to. But I loved Scandinavian design, and I also loved the, the feeling in the stores. It was a little different than what I was used to from the U.S., so that definitely inspired Orange Tree Imports. Mm -hmm. Just a, a kind of a, an off-the-wall question, but how many items do you have in your shop? Do you know how many? It's got to be in the thousands, right? Uh, we actually buy from almost a thousand suppliers, so wow. yes, we have we have many thousands of items, and we actually have more items not on display than on display because we we like to um, have a, a pretty deep back stock. One of the things that my husband and business partner Dean says is that inventory is actually part of customer service because if someone comes into the shop and you greet them warmly and you ask how their dog is, et cetera, but they came in for a certain garlic press and you don't have it, then you have failed them in terms of customer service. Sure. So having merchandise in stock is really important. Wow, that's that's an interesting way of looking at it. It's just the idea that retail is just such a different animal, the uh, the, the requirement of the of the retail store owner. I mean, that, that's a lot of, of responsibility on your side to be able to kind of have what people want and almost know what they want before they walk in. Well, that's the advantage of 44 years of experience. You, yeah. But it changes. You know, one year quiche pans are really big, and then two years later, nobody wants to make quiche. So you have to be on it, – it always is changing. And there was a time when Walmart was considered to be a huge threat, and how are we as retailers going to survive that? And now, of course, Amazon um, has been a, a very big challenge for all independent retail. Sure. Do people still have bunt pans? Do you have a bunt pan, key? I don't have a bunt yeah, pan. And I, and do I people still have those? Uh, uh, yeah. We can help you with that. We do have bunt pans, yes. Yeah. And so part of the you know reason we had you on is for this Monroe Street Retailers Association. Mm -hmm. I know as you guys have built the brand, and it's fun for me as well, being from Madison, I can't tell you how many times I get an email from an old high school friend who says, oh, I saw you sitting in the window. And so what in kind of building the the Monroe Street, you know, as a retail space, what what went into that on on your end, and how did this collaboration kind of get off the ground and and work? When we opened Orange Tree Imports, I discovered that some of the businesses didn't even know each other. And I thought, well, that's silly. We should be working together. And there was no joint promotion. There were no joint um, efforts. So 42 years ago, Barb Conley, who was at that time at Associated Bank, uh, and I started the Monroe Street Festival. And for many years, that was the joint project that we did. In the 1980s, we started doing a, a guidebook, a, a 
you know, printed piece that promoted all the businesses together. And since then, we've gotten quite a bit more active cooperatively. But the important thing to me was that we got to know each other, that we um, showed Monroe Street as a destination which as we got more and more independent businesses and restaurants became a great option for people. There was enough to do on the street that it was worthwhile for visitors and locals to come even if they didn't live in the neighborhood. And that's one reason that Orange Tree Imports has uh, been able to grow over the years. We um, draw on a much wider uh, trading area than just Monroe Street or even just Madison. And I, I should put in a plug for public television. In the early days, we underwrote cooking programs on um, public television in Madison, and we had people drive up from Rockford, Illinois, saying, we love public television, we appreciate the fact that you're supporting it, and we have come to your store because we heard about you on public television. So, I mean, you, you kind of have to be a, a fan of the development on Monroe Street because it, it's progress, and that's, that's just kind of how the world works, but in a way, you can almost make an argument to say that, you know, bigger, higher, uh, kind of lofty buildings, if you will, does not necessarily play into the idea of kind of small retail shops. I mean, it, in the end, are you a fan of it? I mean, you kind of have to be, but at the same time, I mean, is, is there a part of it that kind of makes you kind of look back at, at, the, at the old single-story buildings and, and, and kind of wish that that's still the, the way it was? You know, change is hard, and I'm, yeah. I'm not a big fan of change, even though I like progress, which is sort of <laughs> an oxymoron. But... Um, when uh, Ken Cops went out of business, which was our local grocery store, it was a crisis for the neighborhood. We really felt that we needed a grocery store, and we had a vacant building from 2001 until 2005. And during all of the meetings and, and deliberations about what could we do to get a grocery store on Monroe Street, the subject of doing a multi-story building came up. And there really were not any multi-story buildings on Monroe Street. There were a couple apartment buildings, but not much at that point. And at one of the meetings, someone said, you know, density is a good thing for the environment and a good thing for the community because instead of going up, we can go out. <clears throat> and that was a real epiphany for me. I thought, oh, yeah, I, I can be selfish and say I want to keep it one story or two story because that's how it's always looked and I love it that way. But up is not a bad way to go. Now, we don't have any we, – we did a um, plan for the neighborhood that says that it can't be more than five, five or six stories high. So it's, it's limited height, but what the new developments do are bring not only new retail, but also uh, the condos above Trader Joe's, which was our solution to the grocery store issue, or the new apartments that are being built. They bring new customers to the neighborhood, and they uh, build density without building traffic. So a lot of people bike to work or walk to work, and the uh, developments provide parking for them. So it, it's been a good thing. It's still hard. I mean, you still want it to look the way it always looked. Well, and I think it's it's an interesting, um, I guess, quagmire because it's it's that idea of saying how do you keep something you know kind of historic or or, or at least have a uh, kind of a, a feel of what the way it used to be, but yet understanding that the math nowadays makes it very difficult as well because mm -hmm. the the price of dirt is very expensive, right? And so if you're going to do a development, it's very difficult to make it work if it's only going to be one story or two stories tall because you don't, there's not enough ways to be able to make money to, to justify the cost. And so it's a great decision that you guys made to say, we will allow this, but within reason so that we don't have, you know, 
10, 12, 15 story buildings on Monroe Street because I think that would look kind of silly too. But every every developer has said, oh, well, we understand that this is what the neighborhood plan says, but we need one more story to make it work <laughs> to make it work financially. And and in many cases they have been successful. But this is a very active neighborhood and they know that if they want to go against the neighborhood plan and get an exception, they have to go to lots of meetings and hear from lots of people. Yep. And, and that's a good thing. I mean, there's a lot of process. But in general, I think that the... Uh, the new developments on Monroe Street fit in architecturally yep. and um, have added a, a nice um, contemporary feeling to the neighborhood. Yep. Well, we're not going to go down the path of, of the Edgewood topic because we could be here for an hour and not solve anything. But I will say to that extent, I do I do like the fact that it, it, it's it's a neighborhood that that has some fire in their belly. And I think that that's good. You don't just have a neighborhood that's kind of lethargic and, and doesn't necessarily care one way or the other. I mean, the people that live in this neighborhood and that uh, that frequent these these shops and, and these institutions really have a strong desire to make their voices heard. And I think that's a positive, if nothing else. Well, and, and as you say, we don't really want to get involved in the Edgewood Stadium controversy, which happily does not really impact retail and, and restaurants so much. But uh, when we had the Monroe Street Road work last year in, in – um, 2018, the passion of the neighborhood to make sure that the businesses survived was amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of our businesses actually found that their business increased last year instead of declining. Having said that, some of the businesses had a really tough time. We had nine works, uh, nine, nine months of um, road work where Monroe Street was one lane in one direction. And for any retail community, that's really, really a big hit. Well, and and I know shops were without water for a day or two here as well, which which you know that just kind of adds to the to right. The and we had a, a flood of mud in the basement, and um, you know some damage and such. It, it wasn't a fun time, but on the other hand, it was in a way kind of exciting. You know, it was um, there was a lot of focus on Monroe Street. I remember before the project started, saying, "Let's see if we can count how many times the words Monroe Street are spoken in the media," because I can guarantee you that after it's over, people are going to know where Monroe Street is. And now that this, you know, it's finally finished and traffic is moving two lanes both directions, has it been a net positive now that you, you know, are, are done with it? And what other kind of things would you like to, to see happen on this corridor? I would say that everyone is delighted to have a new surface on the road. It was really in bad shape. And uh, part of the reason it took so long is that the underpinnings were in bad shape, too, which meant that all of the, the you know, the pipes and such had to be replaced. Um, we knew that the street was not going to look dramatically different afterwards because it couldn't be widened to accommodate a bike lane. It couldn't be changed to have new parks. There is some new public art, which is exciting. We have poetry in the sidewalks. We have some new, new um, sculpture and mosaics um, in different places along the street. But it doesn't look dramatically different. So this year, I would say it's about rebuilding and getting customers who had learned how to avoid Monroe Street as part of their day-to-day -day commute or, or life and get them back to the street. We also lost a few businesses, and I think that there's a normal attrition that happens anyway, Over, but people really noticed it because somebody was there before the road work and they weren't there afterwards. So if you're going to be, um, obviously you're biased because you're on the street and you, and you love it, but 
the, the road work is done. Obviously, people are traveling on it. Was it a success? I mean, if you're going to put a grade on it, are you calling it, a, you know, does it earn an A plus or is it more of a, no, it was a good solid B or kind of where, where, would you, where do you grade the project now that it's done and, and you've seen the completed, uh, the completed work? You know, I think it's, it would be an A. The construction company did a great job. They were as accommodating as they could be. The workers were really nice. The city supported us by giving us a matching grant to help do promotion during the road work period. And um, so I, I think that I'm, I'm very happy with, with how it's completed. But it was a tough time to go through. And um, luckily, I probably won't have to go through it again. <laughs> <laughs> are there any things that you can tell the listeners that they should look forward to on Mineral Street coming up? I mean, are there any new developments? Or, I mean, is there anything that, that they can look at in the next month, six months, 12 months to, to kind of get them excited about Monroe Street? Well, of course, the uh, 42nd annual Monroe Street Festival is happening on September 14th, and uh, that's always a, a really fun day on the street. We have lots of entertainment and children's activities and uh, street sales and what we call the grab-and-go specials from the restaurants. So that's our big, big event. Last year, uh, the Sunday before Halloween, we started a uh, dog costume parade, which we anticipate uh, doing again this year, along with Trick or Treat on Monroe Street. We'll be celebrating Small Business Saturday, along with the rest of the country, to salute the uh, independent businesses in our country. And then Holiday Glow on Monroe, um, which is our open house event for the holidays, is Saturday, December seventh. So we we have, um, as in part because of the road work, formed. Um, a more organized organization. We have a board of directors. We have uh, Laura Strickland, who does our media um, communications, and that has really made a big difference to have so many people involved and so many people uh, lending their hand to promoting the street. So you've uh, worn many different hats as well. Uh, you know, your work on Monroe Street, uh, Orange Tree Imports. You're, you're also a published author, and um, do, what, what motivated that? I'm curious from my own, you know, kind of academic background, what motivated you to write a book, and, and do you have plans for another one, uh, a novel? or? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually have a very checkered writing career, but the one uh, that is dear to my heart in terms of independent business is my book on retail, which is Specialty Shop Retailing. It's now in its fourth edition. The first three editions uh, were published by John Wiley & Sons back when publishing was... Uh, easier gig, and sold 44,000 copies. It's been translated into Russian. But when it came time for the fourth edition, they didn't want to do it, and I had a really hard time finding a publisher. So I published it through Henschel House in Milwaukee, spent a lot of time updating it. It's um, 450 pages. It's got all kinds of information about competing with Amazon and such. But I've had a very tough time finding a way to market it. And that's been frustrating because the first three editions, I didn't really have to do that. Yeah. And I, it's got information that I know will help people, so I would like to get it out there more than I have. But my daughter and I wrote a book about Danish cuisine a few years ago, and um, I've translated several books about embroidery and from Danish to English, and I also write medical terminology textbooks. That is an interesting... That, that always, it's, <laughs> many, it's always many, a conversation many stopper. Hats, yeah. <laughs> many hats. Uh, I, I imagine those are not big sellers at Orange Tree, the medical terminology textbooks. I can show it to anyone that wants to see it, um, but it's actually a very big seller uh, in programs that teach medical yeah. terminology uh, to, yeah, to, to yeah. nursing assistants and medical assistants. That's the uh, the level that it is is aimed at. Now, I have a question that you may not be able to answer for, you know, but do you have a favorite item in your shop right now? Well, I'm very fond of dark chocolate, so that, that would have to be my, my go-to answer. And, um, yeah, you know, I, 
I love the fact that we have such a, a diverse product mix. I mean, we have everything from toys to, to Cuisinart. So um, I, I love being able to walk through the store and see so many different things, all chosen either because they function well or they're well-designed or they are amusing and, and a good value. And so for me, it's not just the merchandise, but it's also seeing other people discover it. That That's a lot of fun. Yeah, people should be careful going to orange shop if they only have like five minutes before they have to go <laughs> do something because there's no way you're getting out of there in five minutes. It's just such a cool just to kind of bang around in there and see all of the different... And, and you know, I want to say that that's one way that uh, I feel is is really key for competing with Amazon to create a shopping experience that people can't get online. Right. And we work really hard to make people feel welcome. And, and if they want to spend an hour or two browsing and it's air conditioned or, or warm in the winter, we're happy to see them and happy to do that. And there's not a lot of focus on what are you going to buy. Right. So um, the shopping environment and the uh, serendipity experience is really important, yeah. I think. I think that's something that you miss in our kind of algorithm-driven days. Even, you know, I, I when I was teaching research to students, going into the stacks in the library and picking up that book and then seeing what's on either side of it, and that might, you know, kind of lead you. And I've had that experience in, in your shop where it's like, oh, I saw that, and then I saw that. Yeah. and you know. Exactly. We want you to see what you didn't know you were looking for. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting with retail, too, because, you know, as much as retail has changed, um, and, and it's it, it changed. You can argue for the better, uh, but I think you can also argue that it's changed for the worse in a lot of ways too. Uh, but when you go to some of these cities and you see the the way that they embrace a certain kind of retail, right? And I think that's what's different is that you're seeing malls fall away. You're seeing these things kind of the kind of the normal retail, I'll call it, just kind of having a really hard time. But yet when you go, we, my family and I were just in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, we went to Seattle last year. When you go to some of these areas and you see these independent, locally owned businesses you do see things that A, you didn't think you would be interested in, and B, that you didn't really realize were kind of out there. It's just an interesting kind of discovery um, process that I don't know that we get as much anymore because we don't walk into these places. It's a little bit more of that kind of exact approach of I go to Amazon, I know exactly the size I want, I know exactly this, and, and, and I bought it and I'm done. Or Amazon knows what you want. Or I Amazon tell you. Knows what you want, right, puts it right. in front of you, right? Whereas this whole idea of kind of walking into some of these places and seeing, wow, this is interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize this existed. Oh, this is an interesting item. I, I, I think I'm going to get this. It's just, it's fun to still see that that exists, um, even though some retail or some aspects of retail are really dying off. But it's the power of local. I mean, not only yeah. um, do you go to Boulder to see things that are made in Boulder and Seattle, but also things that um, the buyer there has found that that. Might yeah, not might not right. be local, but I'm on my way to a, a trade show um, a week from today, and part of my challenge is to find things that other shops don't have. Yeah, and that's fun. I mean, I get to shop for a living, which is really great. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, it also speaks to local tastes and local interests. Exactly, in, in a way that you know that, that that a chain store can't do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we work with with local uh, makers to do s custom items just for us. Uh, we have a few items in the store that I've designed, and so we know that people are going to find things that they mm -hmm. won't see elsewhere. It's such a cool. It's just it's a neat thing to embrace, and 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 we we're passionate about it here in our office as well. A lot of our furniture comes from pieces unimagined on, on Willie Street and just kind of mm -hmm. finding these places that make things and build things and create things, like you said, that, that don't just kind of appear on Amazon. Oh, here it is, and it, it's mass-produced, and you know you, you know that it, there's nothing in it that's that's kind of original from the standpoint of the, who created it or who made it. It's kind of fun to just find these things where somebody had an idea and 
a day later, a week later, a month later, it's a product and you can buy it. I mean, that's an, it's just kind of a cool thing that they, that still exists. And it speaks to your space. It speaks to where you are. I mean, the fact that you are part of this community is, mm-hmm. is an important part of, of your mission, I'm sure, and, and also yeah. the service that you offer because you are locally owned, you're a local person, you know the community, yeah. and, and so you know your customers in a different way than somebody who's not local can. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. We, we, uh, we're here and, and the flag is in the ground and we're not going anywhere yeah. and, and we appreciate it. And we appreciate your time today. It's, it's yeah. a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. And uh, we hope that you'll be back uh, to, to speak about more things Monroe Street and uh, uh, more things Madison. So thanks so much for your time. Yep. And thanks again. And, and hopefully we'll see listeners of our, our podcast. Uh, you'll see them at uh, Monroe Street. Uh, Monroe big, Street Festival. Big celebration. Yep. Yeah. On, yep. on the 14th of September. Exactly. Yep. Excellent. We'll be back with another episode of Give Me Some Truth. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. Ask the masses for silence. Look more dead in the Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Ponywise are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.